Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. As we finish up 2021, Pastor Kirk will be sharing a message from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. If you're looking for a church home, for people that you could call your own, let me invite you to come and worship with us at Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. We'd love to have you join us. Now, if you have questions about the church, you can visit us on Facebook or visit our website at calvaryfayetteville.com. If you still have other questions, let me invite you to email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. Again, Pastor Kirk is sharing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In a message entitled, The Second Advent, Jesus is Coming Again. Let's listen together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page number 900. 87 if you're reading out of one of the few Bibles. Well, for several weeks now in our Sunday worship and weekly church activities, we focused our attention on the incarnation, that is the becoming flesh of Jesus Christ and the birth of Christ. And I hope that Jesus remained center stage on all the activities and the various celebrations of the last few days in your home, with your family, or around your friends. It's often easy for Christ to get lost in the shuffle of exchanging presents, traveling to Grandma's house, and the mountain of ripped and torn wrapping paper of Christmas morning. Amen? Very easy to lose sight of what really this season is all about. If we're not deliberate about keeping the focus on Christ, it is all too easy, even for professing Christians, to end up with a Christless Christmas. Each year we try to help you stay focused on the real reason for the season. We've done this, I know as long as I've been here, this now the ninth or so Christmas season, Advent season, to recognize the not just Christmas Day, not just Christmas Eve, but the Advent season, the anticipation. There was reason that uh, church fathers going back hundreds and hundreds of years uh, developed the, the church calendar that recognized various seasons. We short-minded um, and oftentimes very distracted Americans tend to reduce things down to a celebration or a party or a holiday instead of remembering uh, really the full import uh, of the working of God in the church and through the church and in Christians' lives. Uh, we recognize the Advent calendar by starting four weeks before Christmas and by lighting a candle, one each week, that represents some aspect of the Christmas story of the coming of Christ. On some occasions, not this year, we've had Advent readings for you to be reading daily in your own quiet time leading up uh, to Christmas Eve. 
Then we set a time, set aside a short time, less than one hour, that we encourage you to come together as a church family uh, on Christmas Eve. We try to plan it early enough that it doesn't interfere with your Christmas Eve activities, your dinners and your family, but a time to be here together on Christmas Eve to read the Christmas story, sing some Christmas carols, light some candles because Jesus is the light of the world. I hope more of you will take advantage of that if the Lord sees fit to give us another Christmas season in the years to come. He is the light of the world, and that's the idea of Advent, that light was coming into the world to light and to drive away the darkness of man's sin and all of the consequences of man's sin. And the idea of Advent is to build a sense of anticipation and expectation for the arrival of a Savior. Well, in regards to His first coming, all we can do is imagine that. Read the Bible and read the story of people like Simeon and Anna who served in the temple and who had a keen anticipation and who prayed that they would be able to see with their own eyes the coming of the Savior, the one who was promised. And we can only imagine what it was like for them. But at the same time, we have the promise of another advent, do we not? We have the promise of a second advent, a second coming of Christ. Not as the babe of Bethlehem, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are a people who live in between two advents, the already and the not yet. And in the same way that we get excited and anticipate Christmas and all the, uh, the trimmings and all the trappings of the Christmas season, and as we some of us who are still children, anticipate and get excited about the presents and all the other things that goes on with the Christmas season. What about anticipating and living for and looking for this next advent of Christ, this second coming of Christ? I think it would be appropriate today to end the year of 2021 at least as far as gathering as a church family is concerned, to live uh, in such a way that we are celebrating His first Advent, but we are doing that by focusing on His next Advent. Here is what the Apostle Paul had to say to a group of believers living 2,000 years ago in regards to the second coming of Christ, beginning in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's talking about those who have died, those who no longer are among them, just as Miss Billy, one of our faithful members, is no longer among us here today, that there be no confusion, that we not be uninformed in regards to those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And we and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. And dear friends, you and I are living closer to the second advent, the second coming of Christ, than any group of believers that have ever walked this earth. This very moment, we are nearer to that event than we have ever been before. It would be wise for us to be familiar with what's taking place and with what to expect as we move daily, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second, closer to the sound of the trumpet and the sound of the shout as Jesus comes to call his people home. The second coming of Jesus. Do you believe it's going to happen? The second advent. The second time Christ comes to this earth. This time not the immortal becoming mortal. The unbreakable becoming breakable. The almighty becoming the tiny helpless babe of Bethlehem, but this time as the king that he is, as the eternal creative God that he is. This time not coming to show mercy to any of us. This time not coming to save anybody from their sins. For the next time that he comes, it'll be too late to be saved from your sins. He will be saving us only in the sense that he'll be saving his people out of this world to, to again, uh, or to then finally establish the kingdom that he promised. The first time he came in mercy to provide salvation. The next time that he comes, it will be in judgment to judge the world. So oftentimes we wonder, in fact, I had a dear loved one, a family member one time when I several years ago mentioned something about the coming of Christ. My cousin who grew up in church and who uh, professed to know the Lord, she responded with some degree of ridicule saying, you know, I've been hearing that all my life. And I'm kind of tired of it. Do you really think that all of that is true? And I told her, I absolutely do. 
And in case there's some of you who wonder today or have questions today, let me answer maybe the three most commonly asked questions about the second advent, the second coming of Christ. The first question, I think, is this one above all others. How can I know for sure that Jesus is going to come back to this world? Can you give me some kind of assurance? Can you let me know? Can you convince me? I don't know if I can convince you. If the Word doesn't convince you, if the Holy Spirit doesn't convince you, there's not a single thing in the world that I can say that has any more weight or even near the weight that the Bible has to say, especially in the hands of the Holy Spirit, as He would make it real to our lives. But let me give you the evidences that I believe Scripture gives to us to assure us of the second coming of Christ. First of all, know that the prophets of the Old Testament predicted it. The prophets predicted it. You know who these guys were. They were the messengers of God. Some of them wrote books. Some of them did not. There are other prophets named that, that had work that God called them to do that was significant in their day, but they never wrote a book, such as Enoch. Enoch. In fact, we don't even have an indication he was a prophet. He was only the seventh generation from Adam, the seventh generation that was born after Adam was ejected from the Garden of Eden. But way over in the New Testament, next to the last book of the Bible, that little tiny book of one chapter called Jude. You remember Jude was one of the apostles. And Jude wrote a tiny little book just before the book of Revelation. And basically, this is what he said in verse 14 and 15 of that little book. Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied. Enoch was a prophet. The book of Genesis doesn't tell us that, but Jude tells us that. Enoch prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Why is he coming? To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch said that. That he saw that God gave him an understanding, that God gave him a vision, that God spoke to his heart, that God spoke to his ears. I don't know how God gave it to Enoch. But this man, that all we know about him, if you go back to Genesis 5, is that he walked with God. And in fact, he walked with God so closely that at the end of his life, he did not die. The Bible says God took him. God just called him home. As someone described it, a, a country preacher one time, Enoch walked with God so closely and for so long that one day Jesus said to him, well, Enoch, you're closer to my house than yours now. Just come on home with me. Maybe that's the way it happened. But Enoch, does that not fascinate you? Now think about this. Now think about this. When you count the years, when you do the math, of Genesis chapter 5. Did you know that the life of 
Adam, the first man that ever lived, who knew what it was like to be in the Garden of Eden before sin, that Adam's life and Enoch's life overlapped for 308 years. That it's very plausible, that it's very possible that Enoch actually knew Adam, the first man, and heard Adam teach him about life in the Garden of Eden before that tragic decision to disobey God, before experiencing that ejection from the Garden of Eden, that here Enoch, just the seventh generation, I realize seven generations today, we'll all die out before that happens, right? But not back then. Those folks lived a long time. And Enoch's life overlapped with Adam's. And here, Adam had a chance to speak to Enoch. And here, Enoch, this prophet from God, receives the vision of the Lord coming with ten thousands of his holy ones. Listen to me. That's not the first coming of Jesus. He didn't see the first coming, or at least didn't write about it, or didn't speak about it. At least Jude didn't rehearse that for us. But he did say he saw the Lord coming with ten thousands of his holy ones. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Enoch saw something that has not yet happened all these thousands of years later. It's going to because Enoch saw it. Not only did Enoch, but you read the other prophets of the Old Testament. They all mention the first coming of Christ or the second coming of Christ or both. And by the way, did you know that there are, for every promise of the first coming of Jesus in the, in the prophets of the Old Testament, for every promise of the first coming of Jesus, did you know that there are twice as many promises of the second coming of Jesus? So if you believe that Jesus came the first time, I hope so. You should have been celebrating it yesterday and leading up to yesterday. If you believe Jesus came the first time, you have twice as many reasons to believe he's going to come back a second time. So we find that the prophets predicted it. Let me quickly give you two or three other evidences before we move on to another point, another question. Not only did the prophets predict it, but the angels proclaimed it. The angels themselves, those that are the messengers of God. That's what angel means, a messenger of God. An angel is a messenger. And in Acts chapter 1, do you remember when Jesus leads the, his, uh, the resurrected Jesus, leads his apostles out to the mountain, and there he says some last words, he gives them the great commission, and then he is taken up in a cloud into heaven? Do you remember that event? And the apostles are standing there and they're staring. They're watching that cloud as it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. There he goes, there he goes, there he goes. They didn't even notice some angels came to stand beside them. And they said in Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? into the heavens. This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going up into heaven. That's what the angels had to say. Who gave them that message? God the Father. Who did God the Father give them that message for? These apostles 
and for you and me. The angels proclaimed it. This same Jesus that is going away in a cloud is going to come back one day in like manner. So the angels proclaimed it. Number three, the apostles preached it. Read the New Testament. Read the book of Acts. Read how Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. And read how Paul preaches as he stands before the rulers of his day. Read the writings of the Apostle Paul, all the epistles, this book of 1 Thessalonians. By the way, keep your scripture open to chapter 4. We'll come back to it in just a moment. But read what Paul has to say to the Thessalonians and to others. What John has to say in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. Read what Peter has to say. Read what Jude has to say. These apostles all preached the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you know something? They all thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. They were looking for it. They were living for it. They were preaching it. So you have the prophets predicting it. You have the angels proclaiming it. You have the apostles preaching it. Let me give you one more reason, and this is the, the big one. Jesus himself promised it. Jesus himself promised it. In the upper room the night before he was crucified, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. That'll take care of a troubled heart. Believe in God. And believe also in me, he says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to this, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I don't know what I can add to that. How can I know for sure that Jesus is coming again, that there will be a second advent? The prophets of the Old Testament predicted it. The angels that were sent from God proclaimed it. The apostles who were the the Men who walked with Jesus and were taught by him and carried on his ministry, they preached it, but Jesus himself promised it. Folks, if that doesn't convince you, you need to pray to God that he'll take away your hard, unbelieving heart. Because if that's not enough for you, there'll never be enough to give you any hope of heaven. Question number two. When is he going to come again? If he's coming, if indeed you're right, if all these guys had it right, when is it going to happen? Let me just give you one little bit of advice. As soon as somebody tries to tell you and to name a date or to give you a time and say, this is when it's going to happen, run the other way. That person is a fool and a false prophet. There have been several, even in our lifetime. Do you remember some of those? I can't even begin to name you all the names, but I remember a little booklet being written and circulated among believers and people getting all excited. I believe, if I remember correctly, it had to do with a bunch of reasons why Jesus was going to come in 1988. If he did, some of us have missed it, right? Nobody knows the time and the hour. Jesus himself said that. Nobody knows the time 
and the hour. Jesus even suggested that he didn't know it. But only his Father in heaven. Just as there was a day in eternity past, and specifically determined in eternity past, but in time and place about 2,000 years ago, just as there was a day that God the Father turned to his Son and said, Son, now it is time for you to go and to be the Savior of the world. A plan that I'm convinced the angels of heaven had no idea about. When there was astonished silence as Jesus got up from his throne, bid his father farewell, stepped out of heaven, and in some way known only to God, became a little embryo in the womb of a virgin girl living in the hills of Galilee. A young girl who was willing to receive the plan of God and the message of God and to live accordingly with all that it was going to mean, all the heartache, all of the sorrow, and all of the ridicule that she would have to live with as a result of God's choice of her. Just the same as that happened Sometime, 2,000 years or so ago in our time, there's coming a day, maybe today, that the father's going to turn to his son and say, okay, son, now go and get your bride and bring her home. And he's going to come back. Well, when is that going to happen? I have no idea. I know this, and there's a key truth here. I think it'll be on the screen. While we cannot know the day or the hour in which Christ will come, we can know the season in which it will be. Just as we have four seasons here where we live in Arkansas, winter, spring, summer, and fall, and then a second spring in December at Christmas. Well, at least it seemed like it the last few days, right? But just as we have seasons where we see things change, where we see things turn green, where what was lifeless begins to look alive again, and when we see the flowers blooming, and then when we see those flowers turn into all their amazing colors and fall, and we move back into a winter, and you can know these seasons as they begin to change in the same way we can know the season of the second coming of Christ. And can I suggest to you that I believe we are in that season right now. As far as I can understand it, there is not any prophecy, there's not any task that needs to yet take place in order for the timing to be right for Christ to come. In particular, I think there are three characteristics of the season of the second coming of Christ. And the first is this. It will be a time of anxiety in our world. It'll be a time of anxiety in our world. Would you agree with me that we are living in anxious times? Of wars, rumors of wars, of unrest, of pandemics, 
of things that we never thought we would ever see, of all kinds of things happening in our world that our grandparents absolutely never imagined that they would have seen, and they didn't, but we see them today. Let me read just a few verses to you. This is from Matthew 24. And I realize that much of Matthew 24 is arguable about what it was speaking of, the times in which the apostles lived and which Jesus lived or our time today, but I believe it does have some application. And it says in chapter 24, verses 6 through 8, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And then in chapter Luke, verse 20, or the book of Luke, chapter 21. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. A time of anxiety in the world. I believe that's widespread today. Secondly, a time of apostasy. You may be unfamiliar with that word. It means a falling away. A falling away. A disintegration of truth. A falling away from the truth and the sound doctrine and the teaching of God's word. Where is this apostasy going to take place? Well, it's not going to take place in the world because the world cannot fall away from what they don't believe. They can't fall away from what they have not embraced. They have not fallen away from what they were not once, first of all, convinced of and convicted of. This falling away, this apostasia, this apostasy is going to happen among those who call themselves Christians. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about that. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one, now listen to this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Folks, listen to me. You need to pray for those loved ones, to those family members. You need to pray for those who once walked in truth but do not walk in truth today. It may be the fact that they are not walking in truth today is the fact that they were never truly born again in the first place. Jesus said, those who endure to the end will be saved. This is what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But Timothy, understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. He is warning a young pastor about what he's going to see happening very likely in the church he pastors. And this in 2 Timothy, his second letter, chapter 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People will seeking to be seeking to discover their own truth. The truth that makes them happy. They will jump from church to church until they find someone who will tell them the things they want to hear. Those churches who preach the truth and who preach the honest word of God plainly and cleanly and clearly in many respects in the last days will begin to wane, not only in number, but in in number of attendees. Churches will not be filled up, overflowing, everybody just dedicating their lives to Jesus and living righteously more than ever before in the end days. It will be worse. Endure to the end. Folks, listen. There are Christian songs that have incredible words of truth that have been written in recent years, been written in our generation, incredible songs that you can still hear playing on the Christian station whose singers and who authored those words have long since walked away from their faith. They are deconstructing their faith. They are denying what they said they believed when they wrote the words to songs that bless you and me. Something is wrong. There are books that have been written that have blessed Christian people, written from a Christian perspective, written with biblical truth in them, that the authors today proclaim themselves to be atheists or maybe at least agnostic, just can't know for sure. What have they done? They have abandoned the faith. It is a time of apostasy. Maybe never in the history of the church Have we seen the apostasy that we are seeing take place right now in our time? The season is ripe 
for the second coming of Christ because of the anxiety in the world, because of the apostasy in the church. And one more reason, one more characteristic of that season is that it will be a time, a season of attackers. Attackers. People who are not just willing to say, I disbelieve the truth, I'm going to attack the truth. I'm going to attack God's people. Second Peter chapter 3 says this, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers, attackers, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Did you hear that? This world that you know and that I live in, this world, these heavens and this earth are now existing, but they are stored up for fire. What does that mean? It's not going to be destroyed by flood the next time. God's going to burn it up being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. In the last days, people won't have the idea of just live and let live. If you want to believe that stuff, that's fine. I don't want to believe that stuff. People will become vicious towards the things of God and the people of God. We see it in the news every single day. Everything from school boards wanting to uh, exercise from their midst any school board member who believes in Christ and upholds Christian values and believes that the schools should not be denying and teaching kids uh, ungodly, immoral things. Anytime a Christian stands up in a public venue, you can get prepared and get ready. Someone is going to attack them for it. We live in a woke society, a woke culture, and nothing about it is the idea of being awakened to truth. It's being awakened. People are being woke to ungodliness and anti-godliness. And we are living in that time today. If you live much longer, and I'll say this to those of you who are young, especially for those of you who are young and will, barring anything unexpected, live longer, you will be persecuted for your faith. You will be persecuted for your faith. You will pay a price that your mama and your daddy never had to pay. 
you will experience things in your lifetime that will be as much different from today as our world is today was from a generation or two ago. This world will not get better. This world will only get worse. The book of Revelation describes the millions of people that lost their lives because of the stand they take for Christ. They will cry out beneath the throne of God, How long, O Lord, before you vindicate us? And in due time, the Lord will. The Lord will show you why. And the Lord will make it all worth it. But I want to say to you, to suffer for Christ, no matter what the price, is better than to prosper in the things of the world. Moms and dads, you need to be preparing your children to face a world unlike anything you've ever seen. Grandparents, you need to be helping to prepare your children and grandchildren to stand for Christ. Just the same ho-hum, any old way, what worked for you will work for them, won't work for them. The days will be much more difficult. They will live in an anti-Christian world. Not just an unchristian world, we're already there, but an anti-Christian world. And we're seeing the first of that. So how can I know for sure that Jesus is coming again? Well, the prophets predicted it, the angels proclaimed it, the apostles preached it, and Jesus promised it. What's it going to be like? When's it going to happen? We don't know, but it'll be a season of anxiety in the world, a season of apostasy in the church, a season of attackers all around us. All of that's true today. Well, what will happen when he comes? And for this, I want you to turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen, there's so many things that's going to happen. The unfolding plan of God, the kingdom of Christ is going to come. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a judgment seat of Christ for all believers. There's going to be the great white throne judgment for all unbelievers. There's going to be all kinds of things happen when Christ returns. But Paul tells these Thessalonian believers about the initial three things that will happen when Jesus comes back in the clouds. The initial three things. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And then what's going to happen? The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Miss Billy is going to beat you guys to the presence of Christ if we're still living. Because as of Friday, she's on the other side. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know exactly what that means. But I'll tell you what I call it. I call it the greatest groundbreaking ceremony in history. Now, I don't know if the ground's actually going to be broken. You know all those things. And they decide to build a new bank. All these people in their six, $800 suits gather around, you know, a gold-plated shovel. 
and they all stand there and smile for the cameras when they get on the front page of the local news, and they all get their hands on that little shovel, that little dainty thing that couldn't do a day's worth of work for nothing, and they try to scoop up a little bit of dirt. It's all ceremonial. It's all symbolic that they're breaking ground, and the next day, here comes the heavy equipment to start moving dirt to get ready to build that multi-million dollar bank building to hold that little dab of money you have that you're going to entrust them with, right? A groundbreaking ceremony. Well, what about the ultimate groundbreaking ceremony? When the dead in Christ, when their bodies, when their remains are called out of the grave. I used to think I'd love to be walking past a cemetery when that happens. I don't know if we'll be able to see it, I don't know if the dirt will move, but let me tell you something. Every person that ever knew Jesus Christ as Savior, whether embalmed and buried, whether cremated and kept on the mantle, whether they were blown apart on a field of battle so much so that there wasn't anything but a set of dog tags to send home to mama and daddy, or whether they were lost at sea, or whether they died alone in some cave running for their lives in days of persecution, bones yet discovered. Understand, Jesus knows where every single one of them is, and he's not going to overlook one of them. I'm not sure what you're thinking. But I'm going to tell you, that's going to be grand. And what's going to happen so fast is the very next thing. Because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then verse 17 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The very next instant, as you're walking by that cemetery and all those dead saints get jerked up out of their graves, next thing you know, guess what? Bam! You're gone. And there's nothing but a, but a pile of clothes where you stood because you're going to receive a robe from the Lord. A heavenly robe. It's called the rapture. The Bible never uses that word in the Bible, but it describes it right here. Snatched away. Those saints, only saints, only saved people, only those who have trusted Christ as Savior, they will be taken. Those that didn't trust Christ as Savior are left in the grave to be resurrected later for judgment. Those who are walking this earth that did not know Jesus as Savior, they are going to be left behind, lost and left. And understand, you say, I know people that have said, well, I don't know if I believe all that, but if I see this happening and I see all these Christian people that are gone, then I'll give my life to Jesus then. But did you know that the Bible says God is going to send those people a strong delusion? 
And you are going, no matter what you think you will do now, you are going to believe the explanation that the Antichrist, that the evil one gives for why all these people are gone. And you're not going to believe the truth and you're going to remain lost because if you do not give your life to Jesus before Jesus comes, the Bible says you're not going to have the opportunity to give your life to him after he comes. Oh, there will be thousands, maybe millions of people saved after God calls His people out of this world. But they will be people who never heard of Jesus before. They will be people that never had a chance for the gospel in this life with us here. That God is going to send some evangelists among them to preach and they will be saved. But it won't be you. It won't be you. You need to give your life to Christ today. By the way, that's the greatest missing persons report that the world has ever heard of. The phone is going to be ringing off the wall down at the Fayetteville police station. My children did not come home from school today. Or maybe a child who is of an age of accountability gets home from school. My mom and my dad are missing there's going to be husbands. They're going to miss their wives because their wives knew Christ and they didn't. And they're going to be vice versa. The opposite happened as well. There's going to be unsaved children who will miss their saved parents and those children will be alone in the world. There's going to be unsaved parents who will miss their young children that will go in wondering why that little baby in the crib hasn't already started crying for its morning bottle and you'll go there, and that babe will be gone. There's going to be mothers who will lose their in utero babies. Every pregnant woman in the world, I believe, is going to lose her baby when Jesus comes back. Because those unborn infants are safe with Christ. There's going to be cars without drivers. There's going to be planes without pilots. It's going to be a world of incredible chaos when Christ comes, when all God's people. This world, these attackers who are trying to get rid of the evil influence of Christianity, in their mind the evil influence, okay, that influence will be gone. They'll have the world they wanted, and it will be. What happened? And I close with this, the end of verse 17, that we will meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. There's going to be the greatest groundbreaking ceremony in history. There's going to be the greatest missing persons report ever submitted. There's going to be the greatest family reunion ever celebrated. You know, I never cared a whole lot about family reunions when I was young. My Aunt Ollie dipped snuff, and she had a permanent, she was Cherokee Indian, she had a permanent snuff stain down both corners of her mouth. And every family reunion, Aunt Ollie would say, come over here and give me a kiss. You'd have all those aunts and uncles, they'll talk about how big and how tall you are. You'll see people you don't know. You know, as you get older, we like that stuff, don't we? Because we don't know how many more times 
we'll get to see those people. But I'm going to tell you, this is a family reunion you don't want to miss. When all God's children get home, it's a time you don't want to be on the outside looking in, for certainly you won't be able to look in. You will have missed it. Remember the song, What a Day That Will Be? When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Well, that's the second advent. It could happen today, folks. I don't say that just to try to make a point. It could be today. If not today, it will be someday. We are closer to it than we've ever been, than anyone's ever been. It could happen in our time. In North Little Rock, Arkansas, when I was a young person, there was a cemetery. Well, the cemetery is still there. I'm not sure the sign at the entrance is still there. But there was a sign near the entrance that said, These gates close at sundown. So it is with heaven's gates. There's coming a sundown in this life for all of us, either by death or by the second advent, the second coming of Christ. For true Christ followers, there's nothing to fear, for sundown in this life leads to a sunrise in glory. For those who are not true followers of Christ, sundown in this life will only lead to eternal darkness. Which will it be for you? I always find it so interesting that when you get down to the last verse, the last sentence of that paragraph in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this to these believers. Therefore, because of all these things that are going to happen, Encourage one another with these words. Some translations read, Comfort one another with these words. So I'll leave you with a question. Do the words of His second coming, the words that we have read this morning, do they bring you comfort or do they bring you conflict? Do they bring you an amen? Or do they bring from you a question? A question about your readiness for it. It's a good test. It's a good test for you to know the condition of your heart. Comfort or conflict? What does the second coming of Christ and the promise of it do for you? Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the great comfort they are to those who know you. And I pray if someone is here today that does not know that comfort and that assurance, that you would call them to yourself, that you would give them peace of heart, that you would save them before this day is over. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. 
If you live in northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.